Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of Koshien. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today our topic is Japanese baseball. In Japan, baseball is known as Yakyu. And before we get into this topic, I just want to say that this is not at all in my wheelhouse. I'm not a big sports guy. However, Paul here is literally vibrating in his seat. I can feel <laughs> the excitement radiating off of him because he, he was real excited to do this topic. I'm always excited to talk about baseball. You know, when I was a kid, I played some baseball. Oh, yeah. In elementary school. Oh, yeah. And I was bored to death. <laughs> you just stand there out in the field waiting for something to happen that involves you. You're that kid out in left field where the ball was like finally hit your way and you weren't paying attention. I'm just and sitting down. like, go get it, go get yeah. it. I'm just pulling up clumps of grass. And <laughs> You're facing the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Yaku, also known as Besuboru in Japan, is considered by many to be the national sport of Japan. Technically, that's sumo, right? Right. Officially. Officially, but baseball is very, very popular. Yeah. Quite a few people would probably tell you in Japan it's the most popular sport, if you ask them. Yeah. It is so popular that a lot of Japanese people are surprised to learn that it's considered America's pastime because they associate it so much with Japan. Like, they might not even realize that it's not natively a Japanese game. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear. Yeah. For the record, baseball is an American game originally, but it's played all over the place now. Mm -hmm. And just for clarification, before we get a little deeper into this, if you ever hear me saying MLB, that's Major League Baseball, which is the American Professional League. And if we say NPB, that's Nippon Professional Baseball, which is the Japanese Professional League. Let's talk about some baseball history, shall we? Yeah. Oh, man, I said shall we again. I've noticed I say <laughs> shall we a lot. So? What's wrong with that? I don't know. It's just, I feel like I need to expand my vocabulary, change things up a little bit. Okay. How else could you say that? Um, let's talk about history now, okay, Paul? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Baseball was first introduced to Japan in 1872 at a school in Tokyo called the Keisei Academy, which is now known as Tokyo University. And it was introduced by an American English professor by the name of Horace Wilson. I thought it was interesting to learn that baseball is the first cooperative team sport played in Japan. Because all the native sports in Japan, like sumo, kendo, other martial arts, you had just had individuals competing against each other. Yeah. I think that is a huge reason for the popularity of baseball, especially at that time. The teamwork required and the way that like a team works together and you sacrifice for the greater good of your team mm -hmm. really seemed to speak to the Japanese culture. Yeah. It's interesting that they didn't have anything like that yet. I read that they didn't even really have that much of an idea of sport. You know, sumo and kendo and judo all started as just training methods for warriors. Oh, good point. They didn't really develop into sports until much more recently in Japanese history. Hmm. 
So the first organized adult team called the Shimbashi Athletic Club was established in 1878. And this next part is my favorite part, my favorite fact that I learned in researching this episode. So there was something called the Yokohama Country and Athletic Club, which was a club where they played various sports, but they excluded Japanese people. So of course the Japanese people kind of resented that. It's not, not very cool to discriminate like that, right? Right. And you're in Japan, too. Yeah, what the heck? <laughs> so in 1891, a team from Ichiko High School in Tokyo formally challenged this athletic club to baseball. And I don't know how they managed this, but that athletic club, for five years, they resisted. They kept delaying this game, coming up with excuses, apparently, until in 1896, the match finally happened. And this athletic club, made up of foreigners, was totally destroyed. They lost 29 to 4. That's that a, is... That's serious. Wow, yeah. And baseball, that almost never happens. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, they wanted a rematch. So they played again a week later. And again, they were destroyed. 32 to 9. I bet they just let it lie after that, right? Rematch! <laughs> <laughs> and what happened the third time? They were destroyed. 22 to 6. And then did they let it lie? Rematch! <laughs> but this time, they went to a visiting U.S. Navy ship, and they recruited some players. And this time, they just barely won, 14 to 12. Yeah, I think they even had a professional player on their team. Oh, really? Yeah, prof American professional who was serving in the Navy for a couple of years, I think. That's funny. Yeah. So this was one of the very first international baseball matches, and this high school team that just kept destroying them became national heroes. They were all over the press. And these games apparently contributed a lot to baseball's popularity in Japan. Yeah, it really seemed to electrify the country. All of a sudden, kids were swinging bats in fields all over the country trying to play baseball. I think it uh, maybe reflects a little bit what was going on in Japan at the time, because that's during the Meiji Restoration. After centuries of isolation, Japan was trying to catch up technologically and in other ways to the rest of the world. And it was huge for them to beat foreigners at their own game in a way. Yeah. To it, prove what Japan and the Japanese people could do. Yeah. Would have been good for national pride. Yeah. So that was 1896. The first pro competitions began in the 1920s, but things didn't really get off the ground until. In 1934, the Greater Japan Tokyo Baseball Club was founded. Known today as the Tokyo Giants, still the most famous and successful team in Japan. Another huge thing happened in 1934 for baseball in Japan. A group of American professionals came over to Japan after the major league season in America to play some exhibition games. And this had happened before, but this time, Babe Ruth came, and he's probably the most famous American baseball player of all time. And even in Japan, he was a huge star. They would line the streets when he was driving by to cheer him on. It was a massive deal. They played at Koshien Stadium, the most famous baseball stadium in Japan. And they even created a bust of Babe Ruth 
that's still outside the stadium today to commemorate him playing there. But one really cool note on there that I always thought was awesome. There was one game that the Japanese almost won. This 18-year-old pitcher named Eiji Sawamura started for the Japanese and pitched the whole game and allowed only one run wow. to these American All-Stars. An 18-year-old? Yeah. That's crazy. He, at one point, he struck out Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth, and Jimmy Fox all in a row. All three of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. Some of the best players ever. And this 18-year-old kid mowed them down. That's awesome. So in the next couple of years, American teams tried to sign Sawamura, but he didn't want to play in America. He didn't like the culture or wasn't comfortable there. Hmm. He ended up being super successful in the Japanese leagues when they got going right after this. He became pro? Yeah. He had some amazingly good seasons, but then unfortunately he died in World War II. Oh man. He was on a troop carrying ship that got torpedoed. But even to this day... Every year, they hand out the Sawamura Award in Japan to the best pitcher in the league. So awesome. he, he lives on in memory. Thank and you for that story, Paul. Yeah, I, this is such a great little historical piece. Yeah. In 1936, the Japanese Occupational Baseball League was established. There were seven teams. They had three in Tokyo, two in Osaka, and two in Nagoya. And then in 1939, that was renamed the Japanese Baseball League. At this time, teams were named after their corporate owners or sponsors, and they were not really affiliated with specific cities or regions. And I even read that teams were notorious for changing their names all the time because those owners and sponsors would change, and they just played at whatever stadium was closest. Yeah, if you go try to look back at the histories, it's so confusing. Like, what team is this? Where was this guy playing? And teams dropped out, new teams joined the league. That's with most pro sports, though. At the start, it's uh, very fluid with teams. Yeah. A lot of teams also changed their names in 1940, because that was World War II. And uh, due to that mounting tension with the West, English was banned in Japanese baseball. A lot of teams were forced to change their names. For example, the Osaka Tigers became Hanshin. Hanshin is the name of the railway company that owns that team. But then they went back to the Osaka Tigers in 1947 and became the Hanshin Tigers in 61. So a lot of name changes. So this Japanese baseball league reorganized in 1950 and became the NPB, which Paul mentioned at the beginning, the Nippon Professional Baseball. That's the current pro baseball organization in Japan. And at that time, they split the teams into two leagues called the Central and Pacific Leagues. And each league had six teams, which is still true today. And they started ending each season with the Japan Series, which is basically the Japanese version of the American World Series. Yeah, we'd already called it the World Series, so that was taken. Yeah, because America's so. just all about, they got that ego, you know? <laughs> yeah. Japan Series is a good name, though. Yep. All throughout the 50s, the league gained more popularity as Japan was rebuilding. And then in the 60s, with the booming Japanese economy, plus the advent of TV in almost everyone's home, they started broadcasting the games, and it took off to even another level of popularity. 
Yeah, I saw videos of people like standing outside television shops. Everybody's just standing in the street, like watching the game on all the TVs. Yeah. And uh, during the 60s and 70s, with the TV, a bunch of star players were born because you could watch them every day. They'd get commercial deals and all these advertisements. It became this massive national thing. One guy in particular, I think, stands out. Uh, his name was Sadaharu Oh. He played in the 60s and 70s in the MPB and hit 868 home runs in his career, which I believe is the professional record of any professional league in the world. No one's hit that many home runs in their career ever. What was that number? 868. Like I've said, I don't know a lot about baseball, but that sounds like a pretty big number. If you hit 40 in a year, you're a superstar. So this guy hit 40 in a year for, uh, I don't know the math on that, a lot of years in a row. That sounds crazy. Yeah. When Americans would come in the offseason to tour Japan like they often do, they were trying to recruit him to come back to the major leagues. But uh, for whatever reason, he just never did. Hmm. But they really thought he could play. They were impressed with how he hit the ball. He went on to become a manager for a long time and had... uh, Just a very successful career as a manager and a player. The definition of a superstar. Nice. So since Nippon professional baseball came into existence, teams formed, mergers happened, stuff got mixed around a little bit, but today, as I mentioned, there's still six teams per league. All of the teams these days are still named after companies, but a lot of them also include the name of a place now, which was not always true. Yeah, there are much more tied to the cities they're in. Yep. And they still end the season with the Japan series. But I saw an article that seemed to indicate that the popularity of baseball in Japan has been dropping a little bit in recent years. Interesting. Yeah. It definitely seems to be a little more popular to the older generations than the newer ones. Yeah. In fact, the number of kids in school baseball clubs has fallen as well as the number of schools affiliated with the Federation. And there's some really good reasons for that, I think, that we will get into shortly as to why the kids don't want to play. Yep. So I wanted to talk a little bit here about the difference between the rules of Japanese baseball versus American baseball, because they're not quite the same, Most, mostly the same, but there are some key differences. On an interesting note, I read that the first time the baseball rule book was translated into Japanese was actually by a British professor. Even though he didn't play baseball and didn't like baseball, his students were bothering him about baseball so much that he was like, fine, I'll just translate the rule book so you guys can read about how to play. Wow. So it wasn't even an American that brought them the rules. Interesting. So what is different? Well... The baseball itself is actually a little different. In Japan, they use a smaller, more tightly wound baseball. There's also a smaller strike zone. I think I saw that it narrows as it gets closer to the batter. Yeah, but it also seems to extend further away from the batter too. Hmm. So I saw it written that it's smaller. I don't know if smaller is the best word. It's slightly different. It's shaped differently. But With every umpire, it's different too. So Mm. the strike zone's always a little fluid. 
even if there is a specific rule for it. Uh, Japan also has smaller fields. In the U.S., fields vary in size depending on the particular field, and that's also true in Japan. But you know, the average size is smaller in Japan, and some fields in Japan would even be not conforming with American regulations. Like they'd be too small, wouldn't be allowed. That's true. But there are some American fields that wouldn't qualify either because the stadiums were built before the rules came into effect. Yeah, they were like grandfathered in. Yeah, like Fenway Park is 298 feet down the line, I think, to the shortest part of the outfield. And the new rules is it has to be at least 330 or something like that. Hmm. So there are some stadiums that in America that wouldn't even qualify either. And I think I should point out when we're talking about the fields are different sizes, we're talking about the outfields. They're throwing the same distance. The infield is exactly the same, distance-wise at least. It's the outfield, how far the fences are in the outfield is what's changing in the stadiums. Okay. So another big difference between Japanese-American baseball is that in Japanese baseball, ties are allowed, tie games. Yeah. That's different. You never tie in America. Yeah, it's unheard of. It just seems crazy. Yeah, in America, you'll play... As long as it takes. Yeah, normal game is nine innings, but if you're still tied, I think the Twins, my favorite team in America, played a 17-inning game last year, so wow. it was almost double the length of a regular game. That recently? So yeah, they can have tie games, but they don't cut it off at nine innings. They limit it at 12 innings, or... In the playoffs, they can go up to 15 innings. But if they're still tied at that point, that's it. Yeah, that's different. Yep. But I heard part of the idea behind that was uh, almost everybody's taking public transportation to the games. Oh. So if the game wait until 1 a.m. and all the trains are shut down, everybody's stranded. you got 40,000 people that can't get home. Yeah. So that, that might be part of the consideration there. Interesting. But also, I've heard that Japanese people in some ways like ties. Because there's no loser. Everybody went out and played really hard, and the game was a draw. People don't like that in America so much. Someone has to win. We have to have a winner. And a loser. Yep, yep. Another difference involves the rosters. So in Japan, teams have active rosters of 28 players instead of 25, like in American Major League Baseball. This year, it's going to be 26. Oh, really? That's a brand new change. All right. Uh, but the game roster in Japan has a 25-player limit, which is like Major League Baseball in the U.S. Yep. So for each game, each team has to choose three players to exclude from that game. Yeah, they basically just scratch three players. Like, these three guys aren't going to play tonight. Mm -hmm. And generally, I think it's the last three pitchers that started a game because they're going to rest anyways. So it gives them a lot more flexibility. Cool. They also have rules about foreign players. Teams in Japan cannot have more than four foreign players on a game roster, but they can have more than four on the team roster, right? The active roster. Yeah. But if there are four foreign players on a game roster, they also cannot all be pitchers or all be position players. Uh, so one more difference is the number of games played. In the MLB, they play 162 games a year for every team. Whereas in Japan, they play 146 games. Hmm. So fairly similar, but a little different. Also, the playoffs are different. In Japan, 
they have what's called the Climax Series, where the second and third place teams in each league play a three-game series at the second place team's home park. And whoever wins that goes on to face the first place team for a five-game series. And the winner of that goes on to represent their league in the Japan series uh, against the winner of the other league. And that's a seven-game series, assuming there are no ties. If there are ties, there can be ties even in the playoffs. And if there are, they play extra games to figure out the winner. Cool. <laughs> Which is interesting. That doesn't happen in America. You, yeah. Whoever wins game seven wins. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about Japanese baseball philosophy because they think about the game differently than we do in America. Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Japan does their thing where they take something from a foreign country and then they make it uniquely their own. And they've done that with baseball too. In Japan, baseball is all about work ethic and effort. As an example, a Japanese player is much more likely to dive headfirst into first base, even though it's been proven that it's faster to run through the base rather than to dive into it because you lose a lot of speed when you hit the ground. So why do they do that? It seems like I would expect them to do the thing that would make them most likely to get the point. It's an emotional thing. Mm. They do it to show that they're trying extra hard. And in baseball, even in America, but probably especially in Japan, there's something called getting dirty. That's really important. Like if at the end of the game, your uniform is covered in dirt and grass stains, it means you played hard. You got dirty. So that's an important thing for them too. So okay. they slide and they get their uniform dirty and they, they're playing hard. You know, that's interesting. I've also heard that you talk about the Japanese work ethic. And I've heard that in Japanese workplaces, in offices, there's some similarity there maybe. Like the image of working hard is maybe even more important than actually working hard. Yeah. Like you're, you're supposed to stay at, at your office until after your boss leaves, but a lot of people spend their last hours at work just like sitting in their cubicle reading manga or something. Yeah, you might get all your work completely done, but you got to stay there to put in the effort to make it look like you're working harder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is, is a crossover thing. Interesting. Also in Japan, they've got more of the belief that how good a player can be has nothing to do with their natural ability. It's related to how hard they work at baseball. Mm. I got a quote from a guy named Chris Arnold who played for the San Francisco Giants in America and also played for the Kintetsu Buffalo in Japan. Oh, so he would have special insight into the differences there. Yeah. So what he says is, I'll tell you the difference between Japan and the U.S. In the U.S., we believe that a player has a certain amount of natural ability, and with practice, he reaches a certain peak point. But after that, no amount of practice will make him better. Because after a certain point, your ability reaches its limits. But the Japanese believe there is no peak point. They don't recognize limits. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. They uh, just keep trying. If, you, if you're not doing well, you're not trying hard enough. It's never just because you're not good enough. 
Um, also in Japanese baseball, something called wa is very important. Ooh, I know this one. Wa is like the harmony, the uh, this concept of everything working together to be greater than the sum of its pieces, right? Yep. It's a very Japanese value that's reflected in many other parts of Japanese life. Definitely. But with the baseball team, it's reflected in the players just do what they're told. You respect the coach. You do whatever the coach says. You don't question the coach. You don't question the team. You do whatever is asked of you because you don't want to mess up the wah of your team. Yeah, that's a very Japanese concept for sure. You could almost compare that back to the samurai episode. We talked about how you have a duty, you know? Yeah. The most important thing is you do what you're supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. In America, we definitely have teamwork, working hard for the team, but there's much more individualism involved in it. Mm. If there's a pitcher that thinks if he uses a certain pitch, it's going to do better, he'll throw that pitch no matter what the coach tells him. That's not going to happen in Japan. So... I also want to talk about how they practice baseball in Japan, because the philosophy kind of leads into it. I bet it's intense. Yeah. So even junior high and high school teams in Japan practice pretty much the whole year round. Through the hottest part of summer, through the coldest part of winter, they'll be outside practicing baseball in the morning and after school in the evening. That sounds intense. Yes. Even little league teams practice up to 10 hours a day on the weekends. What ages is little league? Um, like 10 to 12, something like that. It's like before you get into middle school. And the Japanese teams have been really successful. They've won a bunch of tournaments, but that's, that's intense for kids that age. Yeah. And it's a whole family thing too. Even the parents have responsibilities. You know, the parents help clean and maintain equipment and clean the field. The parents are supposed to go to shrines to pray for success and stuff. The whole family has obligations, even when one kid's playing baseball. Makes me wonder what the Japanese equivalent of helicopter parents is like. (laughs) I don't even know, man. There was a famous collegiate baseball coach in Japan in the early 1900s named Suishi Tobita, and he invented something called Shino Renshu, which is death training. And it took off throughout Japan. So he would make his players practice until, as he described it, they were half dead, motionless, and froth was coming out of their mouths. Wonderful. (laughs) And that's not really him making stuff up. There were people that thought if the kids aren't vomiting blood by the end of practice, they didn't work hard enough. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Yeah. So in general, that attitude kind of took place all over Japan. And that's how that's still how it is today for high school and junior high teams. Tobita even wrote, a manager has to love his players but on the practice field, he must treat them as cruelly as possible. <laughs> wow. Just coming right out and saying it. <laughs> yeah. It ties in a little bit to Zen Buddhism and other traditional Japanese beliefs. But, I mean, for kids, I think they take it too hard. But that's just me as an American, right? Although I might be the only guy that would have been into that. I love baseball so much. 
I would go home and practice baseball after baseball practice in high school. That's like what I did almost every night. That's just how I am. I don't think most people are that into it. Perhaps. I'm sure most people are not that into it. (laughs) So besides the philosophy and the practice that goes into Japanese baseball, there are also differences in the style of play, right? Yep. In Japan... I think a lot due to the philosophy of how they think about the game, it's much more prevalent for players to bunt, which is purposely hitting the ball only a few feet. So you're going to get out, but the guy that's already on base is going to move one base closer to scoring. So you're sacrificing yourself to help the team. It's way more prevalent in Japan. In America, especially nowadays, we've got all these computer models that tell us it's usually not worth it. Hmm. But in Japan, they are not having that. The players that lead the league and sacrifice bunts are stars over there. Fans love them. So they're not always the best players, but just the fact that they're always willing to sacrifice themselves for the team makes them incredibly popular. It says a lot about Japan's ideals. Yeah, I think it does. Stealing bases is more common. Playing the small ball game. Moving one base at a time. Whereas in America, almost everybody is just trying to hit home runs. But in Japan, they play base to base, station to station. Always willing to sacrifice themselves for the good of the team. I also thought it was interesting in Japan, the coaches are considered the heart of the team rather than the players in a way. So like the coach is the team. The coach gets the media attention. The coach gets the interviews. And they can kind of be mean. Like if you see an American manager, they'll go and scream at an umpire and argue and kick dirt over home plate. And then they'll probably get kicked out of the game. But they never, ever, ever touch the umpire. In Japan, You'll see coaches come out and they'll start shoving umpires around. They'll kick them in the shins. What? They'll berate them. Yeah, and it's okay. They're not going to get tossed out of the game because they're like the guy. They're the team. It's really interesting. I don't think it's cool. It's not cool to treat umpires or anybody like that. Yeah. It's almost like a class system. You're an umpire. He's a manager. He's above you. Just take it. Interesting. Yeah. And most of the coaches are former star players, much more so than in America. So they also have kind of, uh, they've earned a lot of respect. Exactly. So Jason, you mentioned earlier the limits on foreign-born players on Japanese baseball teams. I did. In the 60s, it started to become prevalent for foreign players to be playing on nearly every professional team in Japan. And many of them have been very successful, like setting records, having really good seasons, leading teams to championships. But at least half of foreign-born players don't make it past their first year in Japan, partly because of the culture shock, but it's also widely because the practice habits of amateur baseball are reflected in Major League Baseball in Japan, too. They practice in the off-season rigorously. 
They practice hours before every game. They might even practice after games. Pitchers are supposed to throw a ridiculous amount of pitches even on their off days when they're supposed to be resting. All of this stuff is very different in America. And a lot of players just can't adjust and they they wash out. Tough transition. But some of them take off. But in Japan, there's not always a ton of love for these foreign players. There's stories such as if a foreign player is getting close to breaking a record held dear by the Japanese that a Japanese player holds. I think in the 80s, there were guys that were challenging for the most home runs in a season. And once they got to within one home run, no one would throw them a strike anymore for like the last two weeks of the season because then he might break the record. Wow. And they don't want that. One manager supposedly said, I will fine any player that throws this guy a strike thousands of dollars. That's kind of not cool. It, it is not cool. It's not really in the spirit of competitive play. Yeah. Um, but there's instances where that doesn't happen as well. But foreign players have a reputation, partly because of the whole practice issue and the culture shock of they don't work as hard, they're not as into it. So they're not always beloved by the Japanese fans, even though they do really well sometimes. Hmm. But if you win a championship, all's forgotten and everybody loves you. Okay. <laughs> So I just want to talk for a minute about the level of Japanese baseball. So a lot of people that follow baseball closely tend to describe the NPB as quadruple A baseball. Here's what they mean by that. In America, you have the major leagues, and then every major league team has minor league teams, and the top minor league team is called triple A. So it's said that the level of the NPB is somewhere between the major league level and the triple A level, which is why they say it's quadruple A level baseball. It's definitely the best professional league outside of the MLB, hands down, without a doubt. So to give another idea of the level of Japanese play, there's what's called the World Baseball Classic, which is an international tournament played every four years by 16 different countries. They have to qualify to get into it. So it's the best 16 countries in the world. And it's played before the start of the major league season. So all the best players in the world are available to go play. There's been four of these tournaments so far. And Japan won the first two. And they finished in third place in the last two. It's impressive. America's only won once. We won once in two fourth place finishes. So Japan's actually done better than us. So there have been a number of players from Japan that have gone on to play in Major League Baseball. And whenever this happens, every game they're in, it's broadcast nationally in Japan. These guys become megastars. Paul, you've been talking for a long time and I haven't said anything. Yeah. I have one. One word to stick into this. Okay. I know one thing about this topic. Ichiro. Yes. Is that one of the ones you were going to talk about? (laughs) Ichiro is maybe my favorite baseball player of all time, so I'm definitely going to talk about that. I thought you might. 
First, I wanted to mention on an interesting historical note, there was a guy named Masanori Murakami who actually played for the San Francisco Giants in 1964 and 65. It was some interesting loan program where his Japanese team loaned him to the Giants and he did so well for their minor league team that they promoted him to their major league team. And both the Giants and Murakami wanted him to stay, but his team called him back to Japan and wouldn't let him play anymore. Mm. Uh, But he went on to have a really good career in Japan. And then not a single Japanese player played in Major League Baseball from then until 1995. So in 1995, there was a star pitcher in Japan named Hideo Nomo, and he wanted to play in America. So he actually retired from his Japanese team, even though he was like 24 years old or something, and then signed with the Dodgers in Los Angeles. So he kind of, did he kind of bypass the formal system? He's yeah. just like, okay, I quit and now I can go do whatever I want. Yeah. It was kind of a scandal, but it actually led to what we have now, which is the posting system where a team in Japan can say, oh, this player is available and American teams pay the Japanese team to be able to sign the, the player and bring them over to America. But Hideo Nomo was really successful. He won the Rookie of the Year award and led the league in strikeouts his first year pitching. Major uh, league. In the major leagues, yep. Hmm. He threw two no-hitters, which very few people do. Yeah, I I was going to say, I mean, I know that's not common, but how many people have done that? There's like one or two a year in the whole league, so doing it twice is incredible. And since he played in the major leagues, over 60 Japanese players have come to play in the major leagues. So he really like kicked in the door. What I wonder about these Japanese players is they're so used to this really intense training. What are they doing when they get to the U.S.? Like, are they practicing more than all their teammates or are they just taking it easy? Like, oh, this is great. That's a good question. They're generally practicing more. There's a lot of... I don't know if you say a controversy, but the American teams are always like, take it easy. Stop throwing so much between your starts. So there's definitely an adjustment, Hmm. but it's not always a success story. There was a guy named Hideki Arabu, who everyone said was the next Nolan Ryan, who was the greatest strikeout pitcher of all time. I know that name. Arabu was a flamethrower. He threw about a hundred miles per hour. He debuted for the Yankees in 1997. He didn't have a terrible career, but he never even came close to living up to the expectations and was considered a bust. That's too bad. He had a couple okay years and a few pretty bad years. So it's definitely hit or miss. Even to this day, when Japanese players come over, I don't know, you could say maybe half of them end up having some successful years and maybe half of them never really have success. Something like that. So next, I want to talk about Ichiro, because Ichiro is the reason I got into Japanese baseball, and a huge reason I got into Japan at all. I remember years ago, you had that poster on your wall. Yep, I had that poster for a long time. Ichiro is notable because he's the first position player that came from Japan. All the other ones were pitchers? Yep. There's a lot of stereotypes about Asian players. 
You know, like, oh, they're not strong enough. They're not big enough. They're not going to last the rigors of a full major league season. But he signed with the Seattle Mariners. He is like a small guy compared to the average athlete in America. But it couldn't have been a more successful debut. His team, the Mariners, in his first season in 2001, won 116 games which to this day is the record for the most games ever won in a season. He won Rookie of the Year. He won Most Valuable Player. He won a Silver Slugger, which is given to the best hitter at each position. And he won a Gold Glove, which is given to the best defensive player at each position. So he won every award possible in his rookie season. That's impressive. And his team won the most games ever. They didn't win the World Series, unfortunately, but he shattered the notion that Japanese position players couldn't play in America. Nice. He went on to play for years and years. He made 10 all-star teams. He won 10 gold gloves. He led the league in batting average a couple times. He will be in the Hall of Fame. He will be the first Japanese player in the American Baseball Hall of Fame. He ought to be retired for five years to get that, and he's not there yet, but... Awesome. Yeah. Um, shortly after him, Hideki Matsui came over, nicknamed Godzilla because he was a big Japanese guy. <laughs> he played for the Yankees and he won a World Series with them and he was the World Series MVP. Huge star uh, in Japan and in America. And the last one, because I know Jason's probably getting bored. Oh, are we still recording? <laughs> is uh, Shohei Otani. He came to the major leagues in 2018 for the uh, Los Angeles Angels at only 23 years old because he was just too good. They had to give him a chance in the major leagues. So this guy's incredible. He's the first two-way player in generations in the major leagues. What that means is he's a pitcher, but he hits too, and no one does that. He's 6'4". He hits massive home runs. He throws the ball 100 miles per hour. And he's one of the fastest guys in the league. And he won Rookie of the Year's first year, too. So he's the big deal, the guy to watch these days? He's the one to keep an eye on. He's setting marks that nobody's hit since Babe Ruth. So we covered pro-Japanese baseball. But there are also plenty of amateur baseball leagues in Japan, governed by the Japan Amateur Baseball Association. And this is known as industrial baseball. Because these players, they don't get salaries as baseball players because they're employees of the team's sponsoring company. Yeah. It's very high-level play, though. Like, these are all guys that played in, like, high school or college. So they're amateurs, technically, but... They're there basically to play baseball. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. It sounds at first like just some office workers getting together like, oh, let's play a friendly game of baseball. But no, it's not quite that. Yeah, yeah. The companies take pride in having the best teams and winning tournaments. Yeah, it's a big deal. Some of the players even get scouted by the professional leagues. Hideo Nomo was one of them. He actually played in the industrial league before he got signed to the NPB. Yeah, at least a few players from the Industrial League have made their way to American Major League Baseball. And also a lot of players from these leagues are chosen to represent Japan in international tournaments. 
So this industrial league is a pretty big deal, but also you got high school baseball in Japan, which is a really, really big deal. It's a huge deal. I, the only way I could think to compare it for an American audience is like high school football in Texas. Sure. Like everybody in town is going to come watch the game. Yeah. I saw that you might even be able to argue that high school baseball in Japan is even more popular than pro baseball. Yeah, you definitely could. They built Koshien Stadium in the 1920s just for high school baseball tournaments. And it's got a capacity of 55,000. So that's how many people they expect to show up at these high school games. Even back then. Uh, there are two annual high school tournaments. The biggest one of those is called the Japanese High School Baseball Championship. And the final two-week tournament stage happens at that stadium, the Hanshin Koshien Stadium in Nishinomiya. And that's also the stadium where the Hanshin Tigers play. You said that's like the second biggest pro team in Japan. Yep, yep. If there's a scheduling conflict between the high school tournament and the Hanshin Tigers, the pro team's schedule, the high school tournaments are actually given higher priority and the pro team has to postpone their games. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Uh, the qualifying tournaments are often televised locally. And each game that happens at Koshien Stadium is televised nationally and has been since 1953. Yep. I saw that at its peak, its TV rating share hit 43%. Out of all the people watching TV, 43% of them were watching the baseball games. No other sport in Japan gets this much TV coverage. So it is a big, big deal. Yeah. The tournaments are so important and so ingrained into Japanese society that if you are on the team that wins Koshien, you are basically set for life. Like even if you don't become a professional baseball player, just being able to say that you won Koshien, you're going to get into a better college than you'd otherwise be able to get into. You're going to be able to much easier land a job at a good company. You're going to get more promotions as you go through that company. It's something you can ride for the rest of your life. It's that big of an accomplishment. That's crazy. Part of that might go back to everybody knows how hard these kids practice. So if they know you went through that for years and still rose to the top, it's maybe rightfully impressive. Yeah, they know your work ethic is top notch. Yeah, yeah, it goes a long ways. Yeah. My favorite fact about the baseball tournaments is the infield dirt at Koshien Stadium is considered sacred. And almost always, I think nowadays, once a team loses and gets eliminated from the tournament, they will grab a handful of dirt from Koshien from the infield and take it with them. I don't know if it's even a handful. I saw a video of kids like putting their hats down and just scooping up like <laughs> just big scoops and sticking it into their hats that's awesome and then i saw that these players would go back to their hometown and they would put some of that dirt into a little plastic bag and they would hand it over to the younger players to be like this oh wow is the dirt of koshien this is what you're striving for you know this is your goal you need to get to koshien and then those younger kids would take that dirt and rub it into the dirt of their own home field 
That's awesome. That sounds so motivating. Yeah. If I saw that as a young player, I'd be like in awe. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All right. I like Pretty that. Cool. That's so cool. It is cool. So I don't really have much about it. I just wanted to mention that college baseball is not as big of a deal as high school, but it's still a big deal. There's a few rivalries between different schools that are a really massive turnout. You know, like 50,000 people will go watch certain schools play each other because they've got rivalries dating back 100 years or so. So we've talked about what the play is like, but let's get into what attending one of these games is going to be like. It is actually quite a different experience. People are really into it. And I'm not saying people in the U.S. aren't really into baseball, but I saw videos where like pretty much everybody in the stands is wearing their team colors. They're waving towels or something in the air with their team colors on it. And people are like, really, really engaged. They're not just sitting there kind of passively watching. People are up, moving around. It's a super interactive experience. People are on their feet. Yeah, they've got drums and chants and songs. It's a super lively atmosphere. Yeah, I saw there might even be a live brass band that kind of leads cheers. (laughs) Yeah, each team for every game is going to have a cheering section in the outfield home team in left field and the away team in right field. And they're all going to be wearing team colors. They're all going to know the same chants and songs. And there's people designated as leaders in the groups to get everybody on the same page. Yeah. Like the cheering is very organized and they do these fight songs like virtually nonstop throughout the entire game. Also, each player of the team has a unique cheer. Yeah. And even different teams will have different special traditions that fans will do when their team scores. They might do a dance or something. I saw (laughs) in Hiroshima, they clack rice paddles together, like those little wooden paddles. So you just hear this high-pitched clacking sound coming from the crowd because apparently those rice paddles are Hiroshima's signature product. I've never heard that before. Okay, interesting. And uh, in Aomori... Do you remember, I think in the Matsuri episode, we mentioned the Nebuta Festival? Maybe we didn't. Maybe I just saw a video of that when I was doing my research. Anyway, there's a big festival in Aomori, and they do a festival dance, and they'll they'll do that dance at games in Aomori. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and at professional games, there's going to be lots of food available, all the concession stands and beer and everything. One thing I thought was interesting is that they have young beer girls young, cute girls walking up and down the aisles with kegs of beer strapped to their backs. Yeah. And they fill up a glass for you. Yeah, they're called Uriko. Whereas uh, here, we've got uh, like old guys doing that, (laughs) which is fine. Yeah, Wally the Beer Man was really famous here at our local Major League Stadium for decades. Sounds like Paul prefers the cute beer girls. Eh, You know, (laughs) as long as I get my beer and my baseball, but. uh... (laughs) And as for food, you mentioned food. And they do have like the same kind of standard baseball stadium fare, like hot dogs, nachos, soda, that kind of stuff. But you're also going to find Japanese food there. They'll have curry, fish, rice balls, maybe some takoyaki, those uh, octopus balls. Oh, yeah. So now that we, mostly me maybe, have talked about baseball for (laughs) 
a long time here. What are you going to do, Jason, if you want to go see a baseball game in Japan? Well, most of the time, you're going to be able to get tickets on game day at the ballpark. However, if you want to see the Yomiuri Giants or the Hanshin Tigers, as we mentioned, those two most popular teams, those teams tend to sell out, especially on weekends and on games over national holidays. So you want to plan ahead if planning on going to one of those. You may also be able to get tickets in advance online or by phone, but that can be tough if you don't speak and or read Japanese or have a Japanese credit card. Could be, sorry, I was going to say, could be one of those things that the concierge at your hotel could help you with. Perhaps, yep. I also saw, if you Google around a little bit, there are some tourism websites that can help get tickets for you for a fee and they would be able to deliver them to a hotel or a foreign address. That's awesome. I've unfortunately never been in Japan at the right time to actually go to a game. I mentioned earlier I went to Koshien Stadium, but I couldn't get inside. I just walked around it just to see that's how into it I am. (laughs) But uh, I've seen a whole bunch of videos on YouTube of foreigners going to games. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely a thing that doesn't seem to be that hard to do. Yeah. And if you're curious about ticket prices, those range from about 1,000 Japanese yen, which is about 10 US dollars. Those are for non-reserved bleacher seats. Or if you want field-level seats, you might be paying over 15,000 yen, which is about 150 US dollars. So quite a big range depending on where you're sitting. Yeah. And there's some other baseball-related stuff that you can find in Japan if you're interested in that. There's a museum near Kanazawa. The Matsui Hideki Baseball Museum. That's one of the players you mentioned, right, Paul? I did. He's the guy that played for the Yankees and uh, won World Series MVP. Yeah, one of Japan's most successful players. Nicknamed Godzilla. Oh, that was the Godzilla guy. Yep. Okay. At this museum, apparently you can even handle his glove, bat, and other equipment. Ooh. If you're in Tokyo, you can also check out Japan's Baseball Hall of Fame which is near the Tokyo Dome where the Giants play. I got to do that. Got a quick little fun fact about the Dome, too. Did you know that the Tokyo Dome is the world's largest roofed baseball stadium? I didn't. I can't believe it. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe in this episode I had a fact that Paul didn't know. I've got a fun fact about the Tokyo Dome. What's that? Do you know it was modeled after the Metrodome? No. Yeah. The Metrodome wow. was our local stadium when we were kids, and we all hated it. Everybody hated it. We're so glad we have the target field now. I didn't hate it. I went rollerblading around there. Do you remember when they had, uh, what did they call it, the roller dome or something? No, that sounds kind of fun, though. Yeah, it was like around the outside of it. There's just a big circular hallway going all the way around it, and you could, yep. uh, in the yep. winter, you could go there and rollerblade. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, that's cool. Well, this is a long episode. I hoped you enjoyed me geeking out about baseball, at least a little bit. Yeah, there was some interesting stuff in there. I was like, my notes weren't that much longer than normal, but then I just started talking. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. I know, I should have known. I've been telling got, you for weeks we that that was going to happen. <laughs> All right, well, we made it. Here we are at the end of the episode. Yeah. And I think we can safely say that we will never do an episode that Paul is more excited about than this one. (laughs) I doubt it. I highly doubt it. All right. Well, if you want to reach out to us, you can send an email 
to feedback at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. If you want to see some cool pictures, check out our Instagram at sjppodcast. And Paul, what are we talking about next time? We're getting back into food next time. We're going to be talking about ramen. I ate so much ramen on my recent trip. I'm going to have a lot to say about that. I've been eating ramen here. I found that kimchi ramen I like. Oh, man. That's instant ramen, right? Yeah, different. But we're gonna, still ramen. We're, yes, but I definitely want to point out the instant ramen that you find in the U.S. Like a lot of people, I feel like that when they hear ramen, that's all they're thinking of. They might not even be aware that there's... There's ramen restaurants in Japan. Yeah, like that's not what people are thinking of in Japan when you say, let's go get some ramen. Right. I mean, you know, it's noodles, obviously, and broth, but it's a very different thing and it's awesome. It's just really awesome. It's super yeah, delicious. It's, it's so good. Yeah. We'll tell you all about it. Yes, we will. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.